Hello, this is Josh Peck with the Dojo Upstate. I'm here again for a, another chat with good friend Alexandre Tenus. Uh, he is a philosopher, sound practitioner, sound researcher, and will be drawing upon his life's work um, since a very early age, including many travels and scientific studies into the nature of reality, of consciousness, of suffering, spirituality, sound, and really distilling and finding a common thread between these themes. I'd love for you, Alexandre, to kind of guide us into the context, the background, the mindset with which we should begin to enter into these discussions about wellness, consciousness, and what our role is right now in these dynamic moments in history. Yeah, certainly. Well, thank you for your invitation, Josh. It's a great pleasure to be with you once again doing uh, another podcast, uh, talking about important things, exchanging ideas. A very important thing to address is my style of talking about these subjects and themes. Given the multidisciplinary approach that I take, the syncretic approach is based on synthesis, in connecting the dots and addressing a big issue through various lenses, filters, through various angles, and various subjects that are pertinent to shed light, I sometimes may seem as if I'm rambling or going on tangents or digressing or getting lost. I'm not, actually. That's how I talk about things in a kind of holographic way to involve the listener in the experience. So uh, please know that this is intentional. It's part of the discussion, given the complexity of the themes uh, that we're going to talk about today. It's very important to be open-minded, but while being skeptical at the same time. Skeptical is not being doubtful. There's a difference between the two. And uh, to research some of uh, these concepts that the listeners may be interested in or wanting to know more. This is where the magic happens, is, is when you take things apart and research them. And right, this brings up a very good point of uh, maybe you could mention our tendency for cognitive dissonance, what this is and why it's important to flex that muscle. Yes. Why is this important? Because there's something called cognitive dissonance that we all have to deal with and some people are not equipped. No one is entirely equipped to deal with cognitive dissonance, but it's a very good exercise. And in this exercise, what we end up doing is changing the neuroplasticity of the brain. We talked about neuroplasticity in the first podcast we did, about perception and, and how the brain perceives reality, what happens in the brain when we're experiencing the different forms of reality whether ordinary or non-ordinary states of consciousness. So the neuroplasticity, the belief that we bring into all of this, the education, the indoctrination, the mind control in some cases, the words we use, reality is a product of all of that. And cognitive dissonance can hold us back from understanding the truth because it clashes so hard with the inner truth that we have within us. And sometimes the new truths that we're being subjected to can create a great amount of uh, tension, dissonance, and inability to accept that. So we end up by rejecting it. 
even though it is a more fine-tuned truth than the one we're holding on to and dragging with us. It's that that needs to change, and this is what consciousness relies on in its expansion. It's also important to make my intention clear is that I'm not telling people what to think, but rather to inspire them to learn more on how to think and how to be aware. To, to remain skeptical. Yes. How to be aware and, and enhance this awareness. I also like to promote people to practice and learn more about metacognition. And uh, could you explain what you mean when you say metacognition? Mm-hmm. Metacognition is the awareness and understanding of one's own thought processes. There's a reason why I'm promoting this, is to ultimately connect to gnosis, embodied knowledge, experiential knowledge. Also very important to mention the importance of the mindset, the totality of who we are through specific lenses and filters that we bring to any experience, any experience we're experiencing the state of presence, the intentions that we have, the attention, the will, awareness, presence of mind, reasoning, discernment, belief, curiosity, or openness, intuition, inspiration, and imagination. These are all various lenses and filters that come at play when we are in any form of experience. We may use these attributes to greater levels, or lesser levels, but they're all involved. Most people have heard of the mindset that's often described as set, short for mindset, and they think that only intentions are part of the mindset. I believe it's more than that. Again, they are intentions, attention, will, awareness, presence of mind, curiosity, belief, discernment, uh, reasoning, inspiration, intuition, and imagination. Also, the importance of the context. Everything I'm talking about here is related to a specific context, so we need to be careful not to take things out of their context because they would symbolize something different. They would, they would mean something else. I'm glad you mentioned context um, because it's a good way to come into understanding what people are going through now. I can speak personally. There's a lot of emotion there's often a lot of fear out there, I see. Could you set us up, provide a little bit of this context with what's sort of some of the forces behind these things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Well, uh, I want to talk about the reality of the situation as I see it and understand it. It doesn't mean that this is the truth. This is we all observe things differently and uh, label them differently. And that's a very important thing and delicate thing, labeling the naming, because reality springs out of that. Yes, but give us the lens of Alexandre. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, when I address um, something you mentioned, the fear, the emotions, because one thing that is becoming clearer and clearer to me, that uh, there's a great level of emotional manipulation, how certain sides of the establishment starting with the mainstream media, are taking advantage of the gravity of the situation while they're capable of promoting equanimity, balanced mind, balanced attitude. Very often I uh, 
I see how much they're feeding off of the opportunity to impact reality through fear, which um, affects our perception tremendously. And this tendency can be alleviated through a certain approach, certain awareness of how much fear impacts the perception of reality. And when it does that, it invites more of the reptilian brain, the inner part of our brain. We talked about the three parts of the brain last time, the reptilian brain, the limbic system, which deals with emotions. It's the mammalian brain. And the neocortex, the, the, the gray matter, where critical thinking, uh, imagination, logic, reasoning, discernment, etc., happen. And so reptilian brain is about keeping the person alive. It's about fight or flight. Naturally, when there is a dire situation, the reptilian brain becomes more engaged. And in this engagement, starts to impinge on how the emotional brain and the thinking brain work, but without us knowing that. This can be a tool for manipulation. This causes people to be more on guard, more watchful, fearful. They start to see reality in a very different way that makes the person more panicky, full of anxiety, wanting to separate and protect the self more and disconnect from the environment, disconnect from the community, to see threat in anything and anyone. This is something that is being used so, so much uh, in mainstream media, which I don't follow because of these reasons and others, because of the negative entrainment that it's, it's been practicing. Uh, it's as if it's against people while reporting what's going on. In reality, there's clearly an attempt, a serious and clear attempt to separate people further. Now, we wonder why is this happening? This is not something that is going to instill safety and calmness uh, and equanimity in people. On the contrary, it does the opposite. So there is a great manipulation and people need to be aware of how much emotional manipulation can cause reality to shift. People are being played against each other. It's very clear that as the saying goes, energy flows where attention goes, energy flows where intentions go. So that's how reality is created. It was very important for people to become aware of the emotional manipulation that is being utilized here to separate people. Critical thinking about what's going on and how it's going on more than taking sides and, and the division that is happening between people and clearly this intention to divide and conquer, divide and rule is clearer and clearer. And this is something that has been used by so many colonizing forces in the world and still being used now to divide people by engaging their allegiance, their passion, passion toward wanting to find God, to find a purpose, to find political affiliation. You find it happening in race, in people with different religion, different economical stratas, different political affiliation. This is what's dividing people. It's their own misdirected energy, which is causing them to go through misguided perception and end up by worsening the situation instead of alleviating it. I have a, I have a question on this exact challenge, which is, where is that line? How does that line get defined? Uh, where there's either agenda, someone, organization, or 
Or is it our sort of folly? Is it our tendency as humans? How do we fight the seduction that fear has on the reptilian brain? How much is just sort of the natural tendency that we have to give in to fear? It's like a quick fix for a cheap placing of the attention. How do we fight that? And is it an agenda? Is there something or someone that's harnessing that, whether it's a tendency or, or, or what, but in a way with agenda? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Well, it is clearer and clearer that there are a lot of people who are in power, are mishandling power. And that's something that I'm aware of and, and I, as a tendency for every human being. The hardest thing, as I understand it, is to handle power, is to be in a position of power and handle it correctly without letting it get to the person's head, becoming a dictator, unfair, or, or just losing democracy. We don't have democracy. That's the illusion of democracy. It's important to realize that people can get to such a deep level of ego inflation that they can become psychopathic and sociopathic without planning to do that. It depends on how much they've been suffering, what kind of suffering they've gone through, whether when they were kids or beyond that, and they have not healed from that. So people who do harm to others, people who are negative, people who are evil, serial killers, dictators, people who committed mass crimes and genocides, these are people who are tremendously suffering. And we don't have a system to treat these people with compassion. We throw them in jail. We, <laughs> in the old days, they used to zap them with electricity, you know, electroshock treatment and, and therapy. <laughs> uh, we do crazy things. We, we numb them out now the easiest way. We give them opiates and pharmaceuticals. Instead of creating a thorough system for rehabilitation to understand to a deeper level the human condition. So these people are in power and they're committing crimes to to unfairness, you know, depends, varies from wide spectrum. Um, you have all sorts of uh, unfair behavior coming from these people. But what is behind them as well? How could humans go so rogue? So one wonders, what is this force behind it? Well, uh, the ancients and various societies and philosophies often talk about a parasite that plagues consciousness. And they talk about it in a very serious and detailed way. The most thorough of all of them are the Gnostics, those who followed Gnosis. I'll talk about Gnosis later on. Uh, and they called this phenomenon the Archons, A-R-C-H-O-N-S. Archon in ancient Greek means the ruler. The first mention of the Archons was in the Nag Hammadi Library text, that were discovered in uh, 1945 in Upper Egypt, in Southern Egypt, buried in a cave in the sand because the early Christians were burning their texts and killing them. So they wanted these texts to make it into the future so that people learn about something really important. There's a lot of literature about it. People can research it, but it's important to get to good sources and not distorted sources. So how, how is this parasite described? They describe this parasite as an invisible force, inorganic, interdimensional being that affects the human mind. And the human mind goes rogue by creating perceptions, finding ways to 
bring in the reptilian brain into the perception, which is what I was talking about earlier. And that creates a separation that magnifies the gravity of the situation and cause a person to lose equanimity, discernment, logic, reasoning, connection to the heart, imagination, intuition, all of these things that can save us and makes us android-like. The same phenomenon has been described by G.I. Gurdjieff as the evil magician. Gurdjieff was a spiritualist, someone who's done enormous, wonderful work to spirituality. In Sufism, he was described as the shaitan. In Arabian mythology, he was the jinn, J-I-N-N. The word jinni comes from jinn. Native American spirituality described it as wetiko. And there's a beautiful book by Paul Levy about it, Dispelling Wotiko. His first book and his second book is about the concept. It's spelled W-E-T-I-K-O. Shri Aurobindo called it occult hostile forces. It was the general law in esoteric Christianity. In Hermeticism, was they were described as the lords of destiny. Uh, even Carlos Castaneda talked about it in his writing, called it the flyers, the predator, the topic of all topics. So it's curious to hear about these concepts and uh, what they this do. Is, this is essentially just like the, the energy behind fear, is what you're saying, the force driving fear. Yes, the force driving fear that we're creating and we are becoming addicted to it. Not only mm-hmm. to fear, to anxiety, to panic, to negativity, to doing harm to the self, to others, and the environment. And even when the person is aware of it, the person cannot stop it. And it can be archetypal, like Arconians yes. or, or the jinn, but it could all, it's, it, there's a realness to it. Whether, whatever story or narrative of philosophy you choose, there's a common thread of exactly. uh, it not being a human tendency or folly, or, exactly. but, but, but a foreign alien entity, energy, um, influence. That is exacerbating the situation and misguiding the individual, him or herself, without knowing that and becoming enslaved by their own mal-invested emotions, which create negativity, separation from the heart, separation of the two hemispheres of the brain from each other and from the environment, and we create chaos. And it perpetuates, gives reason for the egoic mind to take us deeper into what people talk about and describe as the matrix, the holographic reality, the maya, as it's described in Buddhism. This mm. being in f- As above, so below. Uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. This is what Hermeticism is trying to bring awareness to as mm. a connection between the inner reality and the outer reality. So we're not having an easy uh, <laughs> life because we don't understand the nature of reality, how reality comes to be? What does it become affected by? What is the nature of reality? How much language impacts reality? How much uh, of reality is happening to us and how, how much, much is, we exactly. create? Yeah. Well, it's funny because as I learn and study, and I've been a student all my life, and travel and work with people and learn a variety of different ways and connect the dots, and it's amazing how much I'm changing the way I perceive the way reality works. I'm realizing that there's, there really is nothing outside of us. We're not really in physical reality. Physical reality is within us. It's in our consciousness. 
it is a concept that we are experiencing of ourselves from a certain perspective. This is how reality can shift when we feel different, if we feel negative or positive. Our emotional state impacts the way we perceive reality, the attitude that we have. Our emotions, feelings, thoughts end up by creating actions and reactions. This is what Eastern philosophies are about. This is what psychedelic research is showing us, how much they impact the default mode network. It's the, the, the physical aspect of the ego in the brain, if you will, which makes us behave in a way impacted by things happened in the past. What kind of things? Well, post-traumatic stress disorder, what we call post-traumatic stress disorder, I like to call it post-traumatic stress injury. Because of a certain trauma that happened in the past, we end up by dragging the past into every present moment or various aspects of the present moment. And these create specific lenses and filters that distort the way we perceive reality so our labeling becomes different, the way we name things. This is probably how this parasite is impacting our perception. And why does the parasite do this? The Gnostics told us with great level of detail that they feed off of the low vibrational energy that humans create when they're in pain, when they're suffering, when there is violence and people are suffering negativity of any magnitude. They feed off of this low vibrational energy. I know it sounds like sci-fi and this didn't make so much sense to me in the beginning, but as I reviewed it over and over and thought about it and let it ferment and compare it to how people can become addicted to anger, I mean, including myself, you know, uh, try to shake off feeling of sadness, of anger, of, uh, of shame and guilt and self-loathing and self-victimization, whatever issue the individual is suffering from, these, like, let's call them negative emotions, feelings, and thoughts, it's very hard to shake them off. And this is what plagues people. And how much when the person has not thoroughly worked on healing him or herself or create a rehabilitation, the person becomes addicted to these things. And our way of helping the person in the West is to send them to a psychiatrist where they give them, you know, antidepressants or anti-anxiety or antipsychotic medication. That is addressing the symptoms, but not the causes. They can help in severe situation, but there's no real healing. There is a system that's built on taking advantage of a person's pain because healing kills business, really. We don't have a fair system to understand these things, to remedy them. So reality has been becoming more and more difficult. And look what happened in the past few months. I mean, we're witnessing the melting of reality, but there's a great opportunity for us to learn about something positive, and I will focus on that later on, but I want to talk some more about how does this parasite, if it really exists, well, if you look around and see how people are behaving and how, how we've gone rogue, still to now, do we stop the, the production of plastic, even though we know that the planet is collapsing because plastic is everywhere, pollution, you know? <laughs> it, why? Because we fell ill in prioritizing profit over consciousness. People don't know that it costs less to create new plastic than to recycle old plastic. So we've fallen ill to money. Money is the most powerful alchemical tool. And that invites more reptilian brain action. Why? Mm. Because money is about safety. It's about staying alive. And the reptilian brain does the same thing and, and keeps you alive regardless of what goes on. 
and it regulates very important functions in the body, such as balance, digestion, motor skills, in a very rigid and compulsive way. And when it interferes, you don't see a red flag being raised because it's a very familiar interference, familiar voice, familiar interaction, and it can take over. We let it do that because it's part of who we are. So the parasitic force, again, if it exists, it must be going through that loophole, actually, taking advantage of this loophole and going in an undetected way, even to a level where the person is suffering so much, in so much pain, they still do things to exacerbate the situation and they go deeper into it to a level of extreme self-destructive behavior without realizing what's going on. As we all know, if the person doesn't want to help him or herself, no system can help them heal, find therapy, find connection to the heart, find rehabilitation, education. That's why the inner work is very, very hard, as Gurdjieff, Gurdjieff called it, the work with capital letters. There's another phenomenon that the ancients talked about. The first to have talked about is Zoroastrianism, the first monotheistic religion in ancient Persia modern-day Iran and the surrounding region. Ahriman spelled A-H-R-I-M-A-N. Coincidentally, Rudolf Steiner, the founder of Anthroposophy and uh, Waldorf School System and Biodynamic Farming, talked extensively about Ahriman. Ahriman has been described as um, the evil twin of Christ consciousness. It's the place where the concept of devil came from. And that's the way I understand it. That's a major universal archetype, a certain tendency. We create goodness and we create evil as humans. And this is one of the things we need to understand about reality. What has been going on is that we're being manipulated with negative entrainment, which we talked about in the last podcast. This is how the emotional manipulation happens. All the things that can affect us, all the things that our consciousness is exposed to, the news, Anything that we watch, films, documentaries, anything we read, books or also news, the music we listen to, the food we eat, people who are around us, our consciousness becomes a product of what we are being exposed to in its totality. The smells we smell, all of these things impact consciousness. So Ariman is a force that is leading us toward exploitation of technology in a non-discerned way. I'm not saying technology is bad all around. Exploiting technology without discernment, understanding of what kind of consequences they create, this is what is inviting Ariman, which is manifesting now with uh, AI, now is part of <laughs> human consciousness. Ariman is also manifesting through mindless technological advancement. It's manifesting through transhumanism, GMO. This is transhumanism. Taking pharmaceutical drugs instead of natural plants with questionable molecules in these drugs that can impact the human body, the genome, the mind in a negative way, fluoride in the water, chemtrails and all the chemicals that are in chemtrails, strontium, barium, aluminum, the electromagnetics that are all around us. This is all part of transhumanistic agenda. People should read about transhumanism. There are a lot of great resources out there. It's manifesting through scientific materialism without the support of spirituality. Again, this is something that impacted reality tremendously 
started happening majorly about 200 years ago. It's the split of spirituality and science that led us to experience science that does not allow us to understand the invisible side of reality, to understand the nature of being, our connection to nature. Funny enough, science was supposed to do that because it came out of natural philosophy. The man himself who created the scientific method, Sir Francis Bacon, promoted staying closer to nature and understanding nature as God's work and understanding the logos as God's word. We have not done that. Science became reductionist and material and lost its connection to spirituality. The most important thing that needs to happen to science now is to bring back spirituality. And we're starting to see good signs of that with the biocentric model of how the universe seems to be working, Robert Lanza, and panpsychism, and many of leading scientists becoming aware of the importance of spirituality, Einstein and Nikola Tesla, two of the most important ones. So it's very important to learn more about Ariman to realize the danger that is unfolding right now. Look at how technology now are being used. Instead of bringing people together, they're separating people. We know how people easily mishandle, misuse social media that promise to connect people together, but they want data points. Notice how we're losing touch with language. We're losing handling of language. We talk less and less to each other through phone, we text, we use email. Now, there's a great connection between language, words, and reality. Many thinkers said that the word exists because we have a language for it. I completely agree with that. We talked about the importance of sound and connection between sound and God, how sound creates reality. The universe is created by Big Bang, the Word in the Bible, the Logos, the primordial Aum. We shouldn't underestimate how much language impacts reality. So when we text and email, we're dealing only with words. But words are not transmitted as they are. Words are always being sung. We sing speech. All of the musical attributes that are in the speech, the inflections, the fluctuation of the tempo, of the amplitude, the dynamics, softness or loudness, the stress on specific syllables, words, to give context, meaning, emphasis, the articulation. Of course, there's the word choice as well, and there's the body language, the grimaces that accompany language. So we invented emojis and these symbols that are trying to replace the inflections, but not so accurately at all. Um, I'm not a big favor of them, but I do observe myself sometimes what I go through when I want to select something to beautify or to make my text smoother. Huh? I find myself going through them on my iPhone and find a lot of senseless <laughs> ones. It ends up by taking several seconds, if not a minute, to find you know? But this, this, you know, there's this aspect that is interfering in, in everyday affair to each person or each person who uses emojis. So they're complicating things. All of that is to replace something so beautiful, efficient, that can change the meaning dramatically, depending on how we sing. A simple phrase like, I don't know, versus I don't know. You know, there's many different ways of saying that I can add so much subtleties that cannot be encompassed with just words in an email or words in a text without trying to substitute 
that with emojis, but they're not, they don't even come close to the richness of how much we can sing the word, the sentences, and mean something completely different. This is also Ariman. It's creating a different reality that is becoming part of consensual reality. It's replacing the old reality that we used to use now. Is this the evolution of consciousness? Well, you know, I'm all for the evolution of consciousness, all for correct use of technology. I use it tremendously. I'm very interested in technology and how technology can ameliorate things for human beings and make things that were once thought to be impossible possible. But we need scrutiny. We need attention. We need the whole mindset. We need discernment. We need capacity to understand how consequences can lead us to an awkward position and we create of them a new type of reality. This is what's going on right now, as I see it, that technology is not improving things. So many people are going to lose their jobs because of automation or AI, and this is coming in the next five years. It's, it's already happening. It's a very, very important thing to address Ariman and to learn about it and to start with the self, how we use technology, how much we're trying to gain convenience, how much we avoid talking to each other. You know, sometimes picking up the phone and talking for 30 seconds is far better and more accurate, more important than texting for five minutes. Phrases here and there that creates lack of presence, promote multitasking, and that's not good for, for the brain because we lose attention. It creates more fodder that the brain has to deal with and promotes more the monkey mind, basically. The mental diarrhea that's within us every day uh, that <laughs> makes us uh, lacking presence, attention. This is what mindfulness and meditation are, tr are trying to treat. And sure enough, you find a great increase in uh, people interested in contemplation, meditation, and mindfulness, which are great exercises to uh, diminish the impact of what we're going through. We're not using our energy correctly. The energy management, really everything comes down to energy management, being aware of what we are doing with our energy. But we find ourselves losing sovereignty from what? Well, yes, there are forces that are manipulating us and there are major events happening in the world, but the way we are reacting to them, the way we're using our energy is exacerbating the situation, making us lose more sovereignty, more self-control, making us lose more agency and awareness, presence. And there's a, there's a tremendous disempowerment of humanity. And we have to keep in mind that when a person is suffering, has been dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, or as I call them, post-traumatic stress injuries, Consciousness degrades because the person is not using correctly. And I say this with, with empathy and compassion because I work with these people all the time. That's what I do in my practice using sound to allow the person to become aware of what they're doing and what they're not doing. We are our own healers. Again, that's something I address in the first podcast that uh, I do this work. I don't call myself a healer when I work with people. I'm a healing facilitator. But I get the person to understand truly what does it mean for them to be the healer to him or herself. This is where the healing, it's discernment, it's logic, it's reasoning, it's using emotions in a healthy way, it's connecting to the heart, it's creating a good balance between the feminine and the masculine within us. 
is to not be attached to negativity, to creating problems and spending time and energy in fixing them. That's what we end up doing when we are in pain, when we're suffering and have not worked thoroughly on this. So what we realize, Eastern philosophies have been promoting their understanding, giving us an understanding that the inner world is one and the same with the outer world. In Hermeticism, we hear about as above, so below, as within, so without, the biocentric nature of reality, what quantum physics are telling us about reality, that reality, as we observe it and experience it, is not really out there. It's just subatomic particles, energies. There's nothing solid. Somehow it's amounting to this consensual reality that we experience. So it's very important to realize how science is circling back in alignment with Eastern philosophies, but the idea that our consciousness, human consciousness, impacts the medium, impacts the reality that we live, is huge and immense. And we very often find, especially in the past years, how consciousness is being traumatized and how that is creating a different reality. Would you say that there's been... um a degree of a hijack of this? Like there's a social engineering element? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. And what what are some of the the evidence or remnants of this, clues? So these are things that the Nazis have done a lot of research on and used. Physicists talked so much about the connection between our consciousness and the medium. All Eastern philosophies, all magic, the hermetic arts, magic, alchemy, astrology or astronomy and and cosmology are all about that. The inner transformation, Taoism, being one with the Tao, I define the Tao as being the Logos. This system of intelligence that we use mathematics to understand, fathom, transmit experience through mathematical constants. That's why mathematics are important, because the most accurate science we have to describe where the concept of God comes from, the Logos, In the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The first sentence in the Gospel of John in the New Testament. The Word was the Logos when the Bible was brought to Western Europe. It was written in ancient Greek, and the Logos was replaced by the Word. So this is what Sir Francis Bacon was talking about. It's very important to understand that reality can become different if you impact consciousness in a positive or a negative way. What we find to be happening through social engineering or social design, it's a form of alchemy, it's a form of magic to traumatize emotions, to create specific reality outcome. This is what we're finding in the COVID quarantine. It happened previously right after 9-11, and it lasted for years. I also think that it happened in this country and impacted the country tremendously in a very negative way with the assassination of JFK. This is a whole other story. We're not going to go there right now. And the mass sacrifices, the genocides, the gulag, all of this manifestation of ego, this is all mass sacrifices. And this is very old, ancient technique in creating negativity to probably summon some negative energies. If we were created perfect in the image of God, why do we keep doing harm to ourselves, each other, and the environment over and over and over? And that's only increasing, only being magnified. And look what has happened in the past four months. The whole world is crippled. This is immense. Probably the first time in documented human history. And things become worse and worse and worse. 
why do we keep doing this? Where is this coming from? We need to find a way to, to understand this. It comes down to a form of magic that is being used where there is a great connection between the mind and consciousness as a whole and the medium. The medium here is the reality that we live through, every aspect of reality. I'm not promoting here buying into all the conspiracy theories and all of that. No, I'm not one of these people, but I also say that not everything that's described as conspiracy theory is a wrong one. There's a lot of truth in some of these things, but it takes a lot of <laughs> legwork and neuron work to, to get to the fine-tuned, to the distilled theory that is real happening. But by creating the meme conspiracy theory, governments and establishment can disempower, annihilate critical thinking. The, the other meme is fake news. So there's a fight over reality. We lost the logos. We lost our connection to the divine. And that's why the ancients studied nature very thoroughly to understand who are we to nature, what is nature to us, where is God, and what is God. The wisdom that they had, and not only in philosophies that I stated, Hermeticism, Gnosticism, but also Neoplatonism, Pythagoreanism, esoteric and occult philosophies, the knowledge of secret societies, which they went rogue and has been mishandled because knowledge at the end is power. Knowledge is connected to reality. But it's not intellectual knowledge that is the most powerful thing. It's gnosis, embodied knowledge. I'll get to that later. Mystery school teaching that preserved ancient knowledge, they're all about understanding the nature of reality, the nature of the divine, understanding uh, what is our nature, how important spirituality is to always be part of development and the expansion of consciousness. What I find is needed is, is um, reconnecting with the Logos through harmony. We lost connection to harmony with the environment, harmony with our heart, ha harmony with each other, with all living things, harmony with the universe. And this is why I take very, very seriously what I do, learn more and more about <laughs> the fact that even though I don't have an agenda to take myself seriously, ego inflation can still happen because it derails so many big minds and, and big personalities. It's also another dangerous aspect here. We find that happening so much that people are becoming messianic, people are projecting and forcing their reality based on what is their exposure to what's going on. They don't know what they don't know, and uh, that is separating people. This is their own energy being used to separate people. It's as if there's an agenda to get conspiracy theorists to uh, separate and promote certain agendas and propagandas through their affiliation to uh, and their attachment to conspiracy theories. There's a lot of suggestions of this social engineering, uh, but how do you define conspiracy theory and and truth? How do we how do we navigate these like the slippery truth of reality right now? How do we be discerning? Well, by going inwards. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. Disconnecting as much as possible from the egoic mind. Instilling calmness, groundedness. Getting to understand what equanimity can mean, which is preserving a state of psychological stability without being affected by stimuli, whether these stimuli are inner or outer. Disconnecting from the reptilian brain, disconnecting from the tendency that we can be 
non-discerning and not realize that. How many times in the past, recent or distant past, we were so adamant that what we're thinking about, what we're anticipating is real, and we found that it wasn't real, it was just real in our head. And we were wrong, but we didn't know about that. Do we change our approach, our handling of a future similar situation in the near future? We don't. It becomes an automatic thing, an automatic reaction. And that's what non-discernment does. We, we go on autopilot. This is why metacognition is important. Connecting to the heart, connecting to intuition, to imagination, to inspiration, understanding the value of the mindset, how much it can distort the nature of reality, given how we're feeling, upset, fearful, feeling anxiety, anticipating panic, anticipating something negative. Because reality is so bizarre, we'll always end up finding what we're looking for, <laughs> whether it's intentional, unintentional, good, or inconvenient for us. And the whole world is going in some reptilian brain, mass reptilian brain reaction. And that's only getting uh, deeper and deeper in the entrenchment of negativity. I think if it's happening, that means it's part of what needs to happen so that human consciousness learns something that cannot be learned in any other way. We mm -hmm. just need to surrender and trust the process. But in the meantime, not be obsessed with mainstream media and being addicted to it because that's what's creating reality. Going inwards, creating a practice to appease the part and especially the reptilian brain, the misguided perception, in creating this distortion, the misguided perception. Meditation is a great practice, contemplation, mindfulness, working with sound, yoga practice, and breath work, and shamanic ceremonies, and all of these things. Look, they've been in great increase for the past 20 years. That is telling us about where consciousness is going through and where it how it wants to correct the misguided perception. It's already happening. But we need to become more conscious of it so that we don't introduce the money-making aspect into further misguidedness and, and perpetuating the gravity of, of the problem. How do you inspire that motivation for a culture that's so addicted to apathy? You know, like, it, it is suffering the only way? Like you say, is this the only way of learning a lesson we need to learn is through, through fear? What's the alternative to fear with a culture that's this lazy? That's a good question. And apathy is the right word to describe it. We're becoming numb to everything. Um, so being skeptical, trusting the process, going inwards, disconnecting from the panics, because again, we're not going to have a balanced mind if we're working from reptilian brain with panic, with fear. Fear is the most debilitating emotion. While I don't have all the answers, but I know, and that's what I lead, I lead by example, and I, mm. I promote the same thing to people I work with, and they're finding great results. I'm finding great results to mm -hmm. really understand the nature of reality and how much the emotions, feelings, and thoughts that we have within us become layers through which we experience reality and how when we alleviate this pain and also to surrender to the suffering and not generate pain. Pain comes when we push the suffering away and insist on being attached to the reality that we conceived in our head based on, you know, some predicament based on 
epigenetics based on conditioning, education, general tendencies, expectations, right? The more expectation we have, the bigger the disappointment would be. If we approach these things with the ease and willingness to go with whatever is going on and make our best to go through it, but without creating more trauma, without creating more resistance, I think that will that would be a great thing to to use, or at least to try that and see if it works. Ultimately, we want to connect to gnosis, and here I want to say some some things that can help people to find ways to ground themselves, to find the inner healing, the rehabilitation, the therapy, to see what we can do to ourselves and each other. The most important thing for me is to understand how to connect to Gnosis. Gnosis is a word that comes from ancient Greek. Gnosis is conscious knowledge, intuitive, imaginative, and inner knowledge. Uh, it is knowledge of the heart, the knowledge we acquire through our own experience as opposed to knowledge that we are told or believe in. Gnosis is conscious and not merely intellectual or conceptual knowledge, belief or theory. Gnosis is not an intellectual wisdom, but rather a knowledge experienced through feelings, through embodiment, and knowledge from the unconscious. It is the tradition that, that gave birth to our most respected philosophies, sciences, arts, and, and probably even religions. Although some people believe that the, the term Gnosis is related to only certain groups uh, who were active in the Middle East uh, about 2,000 years ago. The reality is different. The term is synonymous with the Hebrew dat, dat we find in Kabbalah, D-A apostrophe A-T-H. In, in Sanskrit, it's called Nya or Jnana, J-N with a tilde A. This is one of the three yoga paths. You have the yoga of action, karmic yoga, you have uh, bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion, and jnana yoga, yoga of knowledge. And one can practice one, two, or all three. It's also called vidya in Sanskrit. In Hinduism, they talk a lot about jnana and vidya. And for the Tibetan Buddhists, it's called rikpa or prajna. Prajna from pra and jna. Here we go again, the jna, which means something like root knowledge, profound knowledge or before knowledge. Carl Jung, who talked a lot about Gnosis, he said, I know, I don't need to believe. Somehow we no longer connected to Gnosis and that became an intellectual thing and that promoted more an imbalanced brain perception. Some people would describe it as left hemisphere way of describing. This is an old thought. We used to think that the left hemisphere does only certain thing in the right hemisphere. The feminine is only involved in art and imagination, where the left hemisphere is only um, logic and reasoning, discernment. No, not really. These things happen in both hemispheres, and they're not limited to just entirely this hemisphere or that hemisphere. But the natural tendency to be masculine or feminine with this perception. Also, we shouldn't neglect mentioning the role of the heart and uh, emotions, feelings, thoughts, actions that are geared toward the other. And this is what being in service is about. Uh, practicing love, compassion, empathy, loving kindness, 
using one's energy in a transitive way where it goes to another person and another reflexive way that comes back to the, to the person, him or herself. It's very important to find ways to connect to Gnosis, to feel how things feel in the person when the person is feeling, whether it's suffering or pain, to focus on that, to meditate on that instead of pushing something away. When we're in pain, when we're riddled with PTSD and issues from the past that we have not healed from, we have the tendency to create a lot of noise, a lot of static. We create problems and spend time and energy in fixing them. This is something that I learned so much about from not only work on myself over the years, I still do, but my work with people. And they project things out and they blame people, events, and being unfortunate and unlucky. We become attached to things and we project. And that's what we need to heal from. To realize again how true this saying is, energy flows where attention goes, energy flows where intentions go. How this creates reality. How much the way we perceive reality creates it. If you name me, you negate me. Kierkegaard. It's how we create reality. But, you know, this is what the double slit experiment in physics is telling us, how electrons can behave as particles and as, or as waves, depending on whether there's an observer or not. And how, in Heisenberg's measurement problem, you can only measure the speed of the electron or the location, but not both at the same time. So we seem to be creating reality by perceiving it. There's this mm. famous... Um, story from, uh, from the Vedas. Vishnu, who is one of the three supreme gods in Hinduism, sleeps in the cosmic ocean dreaming the universe. Out of his navel, a lotus flower grows out, and on it sitting Brahma. The lotus here is a symbol of divine energy and divine grace. Brahma opens his eyes and the world comes into being. Brahma closes his eyes and the world goes out of being. This boils down to the fact that we create and affect reality by observing it, which, again, the double-slit experiment is confirming it, and Heisenberg's measurement problem. So reality is not what it seems to us. We are learning about reality now, whether we want it or not. So it's very important to find ways to connect to the inner knowledge we have within us and not the reality that we're being sold. And there's a fight over that. Mm. And this method of entrainment in social engineering, social design, and psychological operations, form of magic, of traumatizing consciousness to create specific reality. Why? Because there is a very intricate connection between our consciousness, the mind, and the medium that we experience. This is something that is so deep and convoluted and abstruse, but we don't have the time to take it apart. But I highly encourage people to research this thoroughly and to find ways to center the mind, to ground the self, to not exacerbate the situation because we are the ones creating this unwanted alchemy that we're becoming mm. addicted to. And yes, there's probably the parasite behind it, and those people who have been greatly affected by the parasite, and people should research parasite and, and see what they can do, how much they can hijack the mind of mammal. There's a beautiful TED Talk about this, giving examples how different parasites can manifest. Take, for example, the single-celled organism Toxoplasmosis gondii, which has no nervous system, how it can hijack the brain 
of a mouse or a rat, and instead of the mouse or the rat running away from the smell of a cat, it starts to follow the cat, sniffing its pee, and it presents, this is a mouse or rat that's infected by toxoplasmosis, Gondi, it starts to follow the cat to present itself as a prey because this parasite needs to go back to the host, the cat, to reproduce and duplicate, and it cannot do that in other, other bodies that are not hosts. It can take over the brain of a mammal. We are mammals. The leading authority on, on toxoplasmosis, Robert Sapolsky, said that this parasite, probably one out of three persons in the world, is infected by it, and it manifests on the aggregate population level, not on the individual level. So there you go. We could have gone but, rogue. We could be affected by something <laughs> so invisible and so sci-fi-like and not know it. We're all walking zombies. Yes. Would you... Would you say that there's an intelligence within this parasitic? Oh, yes. Reaction? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you just Google parasites or, and or go on YouTube and see what they can do, or at least watch that TED Talk, science journalist. Yes, he is a science journalist. Um, if you watch that and see the, the, the sophisticated intelligence that parasites can do and how they can manifest completely zombifying uh, the insect and mm. and and um, creating an, ad an android-like, well, you know, it can do that to mammals, and we are mammals. Nature is immensely intelligent. So it's very important to create methods to center the self, to ground the self, to not go into rogue-like behavior, because we are the ones manifesting this. I'd like to ask you, um, and this can feel free not to answer, but I, I'd like to ask you, are you somewhat of an optimist? Like, do you, following the trends in this knowledge, do you believe that we have the capability or rather intention to harness our capabilities for good to kind of combat this negative force right now? Yes, I am. I am, but I'm optimist with an experience. I don't think that, uh, oh, just think love and light and ignore all the nasty stuff, all the cruelty, and, you know, life is going to fix itself and everything's going to be fine and nice and dandy. No, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of work, very hard work, and a lot of getting out of the way and a lot of work on the egoic mind that is creating the separation on the self. That's why I promote working on the self. Very important to do that. And we're going through very hard rebirth. Births are, are never easy process. It's very important to be discerning, realize what is the nature of reality? What are all these things when we, even if we know a little bit about them, what Eastern philosophy is about, how Buddhism is the philosophy of the mind, and Hinduism the philosophy of the archetypes, and Taoism is the philosophy of being in balance with the Tao, the inner world in balance with the outer world, and what Gnosticism is about, and mystery school teaching, what alchemy is about, what secret knowledge and this knowledge that went underground is about. We need, we need to know certain things, and this is a great opportunity to know. And of course, as people are isolated, separated from each other, uh, quarantining at home or in lockdown, they're, hopefully, they're diminishing the amount of nonsensical things, the pop culture and the distractions, and they're focusing on very important things. And this is what 
suffering can do would make us either experience epiphanies, realizations, insights from within, or go in a state of panic and fear. I would promote the first one, is to go inwards and to really connect to the forces that are within us and to practice spirituality, to be discerning, to not be addicted to one source of knowledge, the one that's most legitimized, and to really feel into things. And it's clearly inauthentic. Mainstream media could not be more inauthentic. This is clear to me. It may not be clear to people. But to realize that, yes, there could be something so far out that's happening and it's being uh, rejected as conspiracy or it's being rejected as, no, that cannot happen. This is, you know, well, look at reality. It's becoming psychedelic. It's, it's stranger than sci-fi. And very important thing to say this, this is a quote by Arthur Schopenhauer. He said, passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. So we need to be open to something that's so far out that it's happening and we may not be aware of because of cognitive dissonance, because of conditioning, because of social design, social engineering, because of predictive programming. You know, psychology is often used in a weaponized way in social engineering. Not only psychology, I would say faith is used in a weaponized way. Sociology, anthropology, music, sound. How do you think book religions have become such powerful businesses? I know they mean well. I'm not criticizing uh, people who are religious or religious men and women. Um, no, they, a lot of people mean well. They want to know what God is, but at the end, they are businesses. Why, why else do you think they've been kidding each other over which way is best to worship Jehovah, whether it's Protestant and Catholics or Orthodox, these three big umbrellas under, or these three big subdivisions under Christianity and Sunnit and Shiite and Muslims and Christians and Muslims and Jews. This is the nature of Jehovah religions is that they're creating hijacking of consciousness and they use sound as the number one powerful tool to make people feel elated, to allow people to feel the divinity within us. And that's what sound, it moves your emotions, it creates reality, it evokes emotions, it elevates you, gives you goosebump, right? Isn't that what music does in a film? Mm. Well, if you learn more about it, you and I know about this because we, we're sound practitioners, but people don't know this, that if you take it out of its context, the church bell, which is overtones, and that's what we hear in singing bowls and gongs and all the instruments that I use in sound therapy. Uh, the music that is utilized in, in church gathering, whether in Greek Orthodoxy, which is engineered music, you know, Byzantine chants. Well, even the acoustics. Of, the of, acoustics, of the rooms, exactly. Yeah. And, and the ornamentation and the iconography, the incense, it's a shamanic ceremony. The priest <laughs> giving people the sacrament, you know, it's same in Islam, the Adhan, the call to prayer. This is very sophisticated stuff. It's based on makamat, manipulation of makamat, the Arabic modes, similarly to the way they're done in Indian classical music, the Indian ragas. Makamat are what impacted the development of ragas. So we're talking about mathematical ratios and about frequencies, and we don't have the time to talk about the intricacies here, but sound is being used, sound and music, you take it out of its context, remove the religious and the sacred, you still have the same power. So anything can be used as a weaponized tool when people are not aware 
of what they don't know. When we don't know what we don't know, reality can become inconvenient. And we need to know. But we're not aware of that. We're ignorant and we've been influenced or we, we're so knowledgeable, but not of the most important things all the time. We've been misguided. We've been given a different education, no longer the trivium and quadrivium, which we talked about in the first podcast. We don't rely on the resources that we have within us. All of this needs to happen for reality to become different, where there is more agency, there's more active participation, there's more accountability and a responsibility on the self to establish or reinstate personal sovereignty, self-protection, critical thinking, problem-solving, creative strategies, spirituality. This is what we need, and this is why I am hopeful, because I see a huge shift. People are becoming Gnostics. When you see such rise in spirituality, in yoga, in meditation, all the things that are part of the well-being realm, hopefully not in a commercialized way, and treating them in a more authentic way. The interest in psychedelic research, interest in consciousness, the shifts that are happening, yeah, there are major shifts. They're not always being advertised. What is being advertised more is traumatizing material. And this is what people need to escape because they are the ones that give way, give power to that power that's coming in a parasitic way, seeping into being, and they become addicted to it, every person. No one's immune to that. I do so much work on myself. All of this is to say that this is what we need to do and not to take sides and to be opposed to each other. We cannot lose harmony. What I find to be immensely important, and this is what I use, is to create positive entrainment. And this is what these practices do to create opportunity for the person to develop a practice of creating positive entrainment but being more thorough and not to call people healers and, you know, the shaman healed me or the healer healed me. This that. No, don't lose agency. Or the plant teacher healed me and, you know. No, it's all within. They're all tools to get us to something that already exists within us. So we need to be careful how we label things to not continue to look outside because this is the most disempowering aging. And to remember that what we know may be a drop what we know that we don't know is a bucket. What we don't know, we don't know, I believe, is an ocean. To rely on, yes, intellectual knowledge, but to focus on intuitive embodied knowledge, gnosis. And this is where the shift is going, pointing the finger toward the inside. And that brings us into rehabilitation. Rehabilitation. And we call it healing mm. and therapy. When we do shamanic ceremony, when we have a powerful deep meditation, when we do breath work, when we do great yoga session, it's not only therapeutic, it's therapeutic and healing, it's rehabilitative, there's education, there's rejuvenation, regeneration, there is self-empowerment, rebalancing. What I find to be powerful here as the most effective remedy to this parasite, again, I'm, I'm fine being wrong. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that there is a parasite. What I find to be rehabilitative and very effective is the place where harmony comes from, the harmonic series. And people who do what is called to be sound healing and sound bath, I'm not in favor of these terms because they label it in a particular way. They create different reality. I like to call it sound meditation. I just like it because it promotes active participation. It's fair to the individual. It does not promise 
some woo-woo, some magic to the individual without the individual doing something. The alchemy happens in, is when the person is using their energy, their power, in a specific way with the clarity on the mindset and accountability and not uh, looking for healing from a messiah, from an extraterrestrial, from an avatar, from, from whatever is going to come from the outside. Christ consciousness unfolds from within. It's about Christ consciousness, not about the Christ, as people know it, Jesus Christ. This mm. is the truth, and it's something that is going to come to every person, regardless of their philosophy, their religion, their religious affiliation, whatever philosophy. It's about that, and not hopefully not Ariman. There is now a duality between these two, and these are things that I take very, very seriously, and people should investigate them, even though they may seem like sci-fi. Well, reality is becoming sci-fi. Mm. So it, let's get sci-fi on all levels. <laughs> <laughs> should be the title of this talk. Let's get sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> Look at what these people, like what Stanley Kubrick has been trying to communicate through his films. And there are beautiful two documentaries, Kubrick's Odyssey number one and Kubrick's Odyssey number two by filmmaker, researcher Jay Widener. They, he goes over what Q, uh, Stanley Kubrick's was trying to communicate in three specific films, Space Odyssey, The Shining, and Eyes Wide Shot. Look at what Philip K. Dick. And uh, so I believe that imaginative, creative, hardworking sci-fi writers and authors and directors of sci-fi films tap into the collective unconscious and they can bring positive material that can anticipate what is to come in the future. And there's a duality of negative predictive programming and positive predictive programming. We really need to figure out what's going on in reality and to be creative, intuitive, and imaginative because these three things will save us. But it's very important to connect to Gnosis, the real embodied knowledge, not the intellectual knowledge, the wisdom. But that is not something that would unfold very easily. What is the holographic reality that is emerging by connecting the dots in a resonant way? So it's very important to influence the entire body with harmony, pure harmony, to bring the mind, every aspect of the self. I'm not going to say mind, body, and heart. It's trite. You can say that if you will, but I would say the various ways we perceive the self on the mental, emotional, physical, energetic, and spiritual levels and to create interference, positive interference. Interference in, in physics and acoustics is a positive term. It's not a negative term. We need this positive interference to influence the body through this practice that is ancient. Anywhere you go in the world, you find people working with these overtone-rich instruments, didgeridoos, shakers, and rattles, and instruments that create buzzing, and overtones, and gongs, and singing bowls, and discs, and bells, and people call a wide variety of different names, the ancestors, or the spirits, etc. I'm, I'm more discerning, and more careful, and more skeptical with these terms, and, and really try to understand what is going on. And that's something we talked a bit about in, in the first podcast, that there seem to be very thorough, important system of rehabilitation going on to bring the self into a state of harmony, inner harmony, to let go of the misguided perception. These frequencies and the mathematical ratios that bind them together, this is really what's doing the work at the end. The most sophisticated mathematical constant, that's the harmonic series, 
impacting the entire totality of the self and creating what people call healing or therapy. It's a lot more than that. It's, I think it's a thorough rehabilitation to let go of our attachment to the misguided perception that creates suffering, pain, and we become addicted to that. These agendas and social design and propagandas and social engineering, negative entrainment seem to be taking advantage of this fact that we are ignorant about. And people mm. can check out my research and findings on, on my website, learn more about it. And again, I promote them to be skeptical, but not doubtful. Skeptical, that means I'm interested, but I want to learn more to make up my mind. Doubtful means it kind of, kind of communicates, uh, I've already made up my mind, don't confuse me with the facts. So it's very important to not be attached to the reality that we think and that is convenient because of cognitive dissonance. It's, uh, it's not an, an easy thing to go through, but this is what I believe needs to happen. So it's a beautiful process. And I've been going through it for a long time. I'm fortunate because I started this journey when I was 14 with my introduction to meditation, which opened all sorts of doors. And that modulated to many different things. And now it's my life's work. Everything is coming beautifully together including mm. the reason why I suffered in the past and I went through a lot of suffering. And now I'm realizing that this was my training to learn things, to be able to connect the dots and be able to gain access to faculties within me that I could not have learned otherwise. So it's very important to trust the process, to surrender, allow, trust and accept. Sata, this should be everyone's mantra. It is mine for certain. Oh, that's a good place to maybe leave things on. Um... Alexandre, what a, what a pleasure chatting. Thank you for making the time. Again, to learn more about this work and Alexandre's practices, you can visit soundmeditation.com. As always, what a pleasure and Thank quite you. informative experience. Thanks again. This was a really wonderful chat. Yes. 